Rising Above Shadows of Abuse podcast. The podcast relating to all aspects of abuse in society. I'm your host, Grace Osborne. Thank you for joining me on this exciting journey. Just how much love is there in a family if killing a daughter for supposedly bringing shame and dishonor upon them is acceptable? What rapt definition of justice is going through the collective heads of a British police force when their reaction to the murder of a woman overseas but a UK resident? Is it your culture? These are but two salient questions posited by women's rights advocate Dr. Diana Nami in this engaging interview where she discussed how she came to found ICRAW as a result of being told that her translator in the UK had been the victim of an honor killing shortly after Diana arrived as a refugee from Iran. Why does a daughter bring shame and dishonor on a family? It's because she wants to be educated, respected and treated as unequal to men. She doesn't want to be just a wife, mother, cleaner, cook and a chattel. She, she does not want to be forced into marriage with an older man who is probably a blood relative in order to keep finances within the extended family. She doesn't want her sex life controlled. She doesn't want to display a blood-stained sheet to the world on her wedding night. She doesn't want her so-called purity defined by marriage. She doesn't want a husband who threatens her with social services taking away their children if she dares to disobey him. She doesn't want to succumb to the demands of a violent perpetrator. And she doesn't want to be taken abroad under false pretenses, driven to a remote village in the middle of nowhere and put to death in a public execution, her body buried in a shallow grave or dumped down a well. Diana's first friend in the UK could well be a metaphor for an every woman from a non-Western culture living in the West. It may well be assumed erroneously that being a denizen of a supposedly liberal and civilized country, the threatened woman is out of harm's way. The assumption couldn't be further from the truth. Manipulative and determined family and friends can undermine any protective safeguards, even in a presumably advanced foreign country. Tradition and honor run deep in many cultures and circumvent national borders, particularly when the laws and jurisdictions are perceived to not apply to those of a different culture, particularly if they are women. Patriarchy is the default setting in society, even in the West, where women continually have to fight and strive for even basic equality against institutionally sexist structures that have been designed by men for men. Just a missive to the police who failed to investigate the death of Diana's translator friend and who described honor killings as a quaint but regressive cultural activity. A far more accurate description is murder, a deliberate premeditated killing of another person and nothing less. Don't use the excuse of another culture to justify murdering women. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of introducing the director of ICRA, a UK-based charity which helps Middle Eastern and North African women and girls who are facing forced marriages, honor-based violence, discrimination, and any other forms of abuse. Welcome, Dr. Diana Nami. 
it's a delight to have you here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here with you and produce this podcast. You're welcome. Kindly tell us a bit about yourself and why you decided to start ICRA, the charity. Yeah, thank you. Of course, uh, let me just start from a little bit uh, back of uh, my life. Uh, I, I am Kurdish originally from Iran. And uh, uh, I came as an asylum seeker and refugee to the UK. And uh, I remember when I came to the UK, I couldn't speak a word of English. So I have been provided an interpreter to enroll my daughter at school. The interpreter was a lovely Kurdish woman. Uh, she was uh, very kind, very nice to us. Uh, and uh, we become uh, kind of very friendly because uh, she was really trying to help us and trying to make us feel comfortable here. We were quite new and worried about our situation. Anyway, she came to the appointment twice with us and the third occasion she didn't turn up. And uh, I was very upset, of course, because I couldn't speak a word of English. I didn't understand anything from school. And she didn't leave a message, not for me, neither for the school. And it was a bit unusual about her because she used to come to my home. We used to go together to school. And that time, she was not uh, appeared at all. So when I went home, I called her office and I talked to one of her colleagues. And uh, he told me that... Uh, Sophia was her name, that Sophia is dead. And uh, I was very upset because she was really a very healthy young woman. I couldn't see any signs of, signs of any, um, uh, any illness or something. And I thought of a, maybe a road accident or something, which I asked them. They told me, no, it wasn't a road accident, but uh, her husband suspecting that she is flirting with one of her colleagues. So they took her back to Iraq and they planned for her and they killed her in Iraq. Of course, this case has not been investigated by the Iraqis uh, police because there is in their constitution, this is a family matter and the, the issue of honor is about uh, men and uh, no one is persecuted for that. And what I thought at that time to do for her was to get help of uh, my, one of my colleague and call, uh, my friend and call police in the UK and asking them to investigate the case. Actually, I was thinking that uh, to ensure myself that they are investigating the case. So I contacted them uh, with the help of a friend who could speak English and we told them the story that I just told you. Mm. And they told me that uh, first of all, incident didn't happen in the UK, it happened in Iraq, so they are not going to investigate the case. It is Iraqi's police duty to investigate the case. I told them that they didn't done it because there is no law against honor killing and uh, it is a family matter and they don't do anything. Whereas she is a British citizen, people say that she has been killed by the husband and in laws. And I think uh, I make this allegation for you to investigate the case. It's a serious allegation, it's about is about uh, killing someone mm. and police told me uh, and I told them that uh, she's British citizen and she told he told me that it doesn't make any difference okay. uh, although of course I thought that it would make difference if she was a white British woman uh, or and it could rightly police should rightly investigate the case 
I told them this is an honor killing case. And they told me, uh, honor killing is your culture and we have to respect that. Otherwise you will call us racist. I was shocked by the police reaction. So I thought seriously, there is something wrong. We from um, women from minority communities, we have been treated according to our culture. This is not a culture, first of all, this is a crime. And secondly, this crime should be investigated. It should not be respected and tolerated. And uh, we are discriminated because we are not a British white woman. So this is discrimination against our rights as a woman from minoritized community. And it was then I thought about establishing an organization. And first of all, the organization I set it up nearly 20, almost 20 years ago okay. to tackle violence against women and girls uh, and uh, to help the community, to help women like my interpreter and to campaign to raise awareness about honor-based violence, forced marriage, child marriage, female genital mutilation, other form of violence against women, especially women from minoritized community, and uh, to change the law of the country in favor of women's rights, because we strongly believe that women's rights and human rights are, uh, are uh, international and it crossed the border regardless of the color of the place that you were born, the language you speak, the religious you have, the political you believe, we should be entitled for the same law. Mm. This was when I established ICRO 20 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for giving us um, a brief background Thank on you. how you started and why you started ICRO. So leading to the next question, what role does your charity play in the lives of survivors of domestic violence or any kind of abuse? Um, yeah, uh, initially I have to say that our organization, when we started up, it was only dealing with Kurdish and Farsi speaking uh, women from Iranian and Kurdish communities. But later on, because of the demand, so uh, we expanded our uh, remit uh, and our team. And we now are representing the women from all over Middle East, North African, Afghan communities who have experience or are at risk of all form of violence against women and abuse. And our team, we are uh, speaking the languages uh, from those communities all of them in the UK, and we provide advice and advocacy, uh, and uh, you know, in nearly nine languages from the community, we provide counseling services in Farsi, Kurdish, Arabic, and English. Uh, we uh, provide uh, uh, training to professionals uh, to uh, to make sure that they are aware of the. Uh, the problems that women from those communities are facing and how to deal with them and how to not send them back to the perpetrators. We run a refuge for women from Middle Eastern, which is the only one and the first one that ICRO has established. And we are hoping to increase it if we get found for that because the demand is extremely high. Uh, all our services are free for women uh, who are at risk of violence or have been through violence. And also uh, we are helping uh, women uh, by, uh, you know, through providing training to them 
for themselves to be aware of their rights and entitlements in the UK, because many of them, they don't know. Uh, women like myself, I came from Iran and I had no any rights there. So I didn't know what kind of rights I am entitled here in the UK and what of the entitlements I have. So informing women about their rights and entitlement in the UK give them really power to make a informed choice about their life and future and rebuild their future for themselves and for children. And also we run campaigns, campaign to make changes in the law in the UK. Also every year we have put a project called Through Honor Award, which we provide an award in memory of all the women who fell victim of honor-based violence. And also in recognizing the great work of those people who are helping other women and saving lives. So every year we have it, which uh, this year is in 10th of March. Usually we are doing it in March and uh, always there are quite few people. Now we have put people internationally to uh, uh, recommend it and uh, have been uh, applied for the award, which is amazing to see the changes all around the world. So our services, uh, and especially we are working in, uh, in collaboration with many other organizations, both in the UK and internationally. And this helps us to make sure that our word is spread and going all over the world because the rights of women is universal. And it's better for us to work together with all the other organizations and make sure that uh, you know we can save women, save lives anywhere that we can and we have power. Okay. Wow, that is really very good. Thank you. Um, so you kind of diversified the help you prefer to these women and girls all over the world. It is what we uh, hope to do. Uh, of course, uh, I mean, it's not an easy task because in some countries we can especially do it much easier, uh, especially when uh, uh, we have got the British government, for example, the issues of forced marriage or uh, you know, child marriage or child abduction or abduction of women in countries like, uh, for example, like uh, Iraq is easier for us rather than a country like Iran. In Kurdistan, for example, Iraqi Kurdistan is much easier because especially UK government has got good political relationship with them and they have good embassy and they have good uh, consulate that uh, they are willing to help us which is very good. But in countries where the political relationship is not so smooth between the country, so it affects our work as well. So, I mean, the situation even in the UK or around the world, the political situation is affect the rights for women and their safety, even in terms of violence against women. Uh, I mean, so many political things can affect the women. And as I say, in some countries, really, we can make changes and we have done it, uh, even in countries, you know, like America, Australia, uh, all over the Europe and many, many countries around the Middle Eastern and North Africa that, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, we distribute the word about honor-based violence. Loudly, ICRO was the first organization I can say that we didn't consider the culture of the community as a justification for violence, for accepting, tolerating this unacceptable practice. And we say that 
uh, this is something bad and we should, it's a crime and we should stop, try to stop it and to end it in the communities and make sure that in the countries like European countries that we have, uh, we can campaign and lobbying for making change to bring it uh, as a, uh, to make sure that it's in, identified as a form of violence against women. I know that uh, from the very beginning, of course, we had reaction from community. Many of them, they told us that we brought shame to the community by talking about on-based violence. Uh, we received so much threat from members of the community, even in two, three occasions, they attempt to pick me up in the street. Uh, we received death threat from different places. Uh, and government in the other side, uh, they say that, uh, um, you know, you are making community upset, so they will be angry against us, so we don't want to touch it. Whereas we say that, you know, we have to consider the life of women, safety of women and children. We have to be the voice of voiceless people. You are thinking about community to be upset. Who are going to be upset? Of course, those people who are practicing the honor-based violence, not everyone in the community practicing honor-based violence. And we have to give confidence to the majority of community who are not practicing honor-based violence to come forward and to try to end that practice within the community. We, I am glad to say that we managed to make these changes in the UK and many other countries. Now, for example, the issue of forced marriage is, has been considered as a crime in the UK and many other countries. The honor-based violence have different forms of crime within that. And uh, it is a serious, serious and organized crime. So it is, uh, you know, the achievement that we have done in terms of safety and safeguarding women and girls, uh, speci especially in the UK. Well done. Country. Well done. Thank Diana. you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So talking about the issue of uh, arranged and forced marriages um, in Asian and African cultures, it's a form of controlling behavior within family. Can you talk more about this? Um, of course, I have to say that arranged marriage or forced marriage, they are different. Uh, for example, arranged marriage uh, uh, is, uh, is uh, can, we can support it as far as one and both of them say no, to be free to say no and reject an arranged marriage and not violence to be involved and the people who arrange it for them to accept and respect their will two-person will. But forced marriage, it's a uh, force in its name. It's uh, very clear that it can be, uh, jurors can be involved in that. It can be different form is either physical, emotional, financial. So uh, forced marriage uh, is something that it's not acceptable in any form and shape. Uh, and uh, it has been uh, recognized as a crime in the UK, and I, I am sure that in some other countries it has happened, and I hope if not, it will happen in the future for many countries. And also, it doesn't only happen in uh, South Asian and in uh, Africa, but it happened actually all around the world, and Middle East is one of those communities that has been infected, and Asia, and Africa, and even uh, America, many parts of America and Latin America, it has been, uh, you know, forced marriage and child marriage has been 
highly, highly practiced, uh, widely it's practiced. So uh, when uh, we are talking about them, uh, of course, uh, uh, um, uh, the controlling behavior of them, uh, the, the center of that is uh, that, uh, that woman has uh, uh, no control over her life and has no control over her sexual life, but it's parents or someone else making a decision for them. This can be their own parents and someone else can be their cousins, their uh, even neighbors sometimes, or uh, the, the leader of the community can make those choices for them. So it seems that women have less of things to say about their life, but other people are controlling their life. Women is like a position to men, especially within the community and to other people. This is unacceptable. And this behavior, controlling behavior, even in the UK in itself, because become a form of violence and has been considered as a form of violence against women as part of domestic abuse as well. So this kind of controlling, it can be even financial. For example, sometimes a family, they think that they have got wealth and they want to keep it with the family, within the family, so they serve force their children, uh, cousins uh, to marry each other. Sometimes they may think if this is to keep their wealth within the family uh, and uh, inheritance. Sometimes the family think that they have to put their children in marriage before, especially for girls, before they open their eyes from their very young ages, they put them in the marriage, force them into marriage to not open their eyes and to not become in love with anyone. So it can have a different uh, reason, but the most common one, the most common reason is uh, keeping the inheritance within the family and also to control uh, the, uh, the sexuality of women and women's behavior, especially uh, in uh, forced marriage cases. Forced marriage also is very much related to honor-based violence and specifically when we are talking about the controlling of their life, this is very much about the issue of honor, which in different languages, uh, it says uh, in Arabic, for example, sharab, uh, in uh, Turkish, it says again, sharab or namus, in Farsi, it's sharab, namus, in ezat um, is uh, in uh, Asian community. So all those words called honor, but definitely we are saying there is no honor in honor killing, in so-called honor killing, because killing someone, this is not an honor. And especially if that person is a member of your family, is a girl of the family that should be protected by the same parent, by the same people around them, rather than killing them. And marriage should be something that a boy and girl, or girl and girl, or boy, a lesbian and gay, to be able to choose for them and for them to be free to accept or not accept that. So this is a marriage which we are thinking about. This is the contract between two people very fully voluntarily. So in essence, there should be consent from both parties. Definitely, definitely. This leads to the next question. Kindly tell me what virginity testing is all about and possibly any case or example you've handled? 
in your organization? Yeah, yeah, of course we have got lots of cases, uh, but uh, not many people are openly talking about that because uh, it's very much related to the issue of shame on a, and also it's a life threatening for many young girls. But we have got quite few cases. I can talk about one of our cases. Uh, this is an issue that ICRO have been leading in uh, campaigning on during the past few years. And we are proud that say that ICRO's uh, virginity does not define me campaign has made huge stride, uh, strides uh, this year. Uh, virginity is a flawed um, and dangerous uh, concept that we need to uh, dismantle. Uh, I think we need to discredit it within the community. This is not the value, should not be considered as a value for women and women's life. And this is the roots of so much violence against women and girls. And at ICRO, we come across different version of virginity testing. And there is instance uh, um, um, pre pressure on women to present as virgin when she marries. And many are accepted to bleed on a white sheet or a towel, uh, which is then displayed uh, as a supposed evidence uh, that uh, she was a virgin in the night of the wedding. We know that around 50% of women and girls uh, do not believe when they first have sexual intercourse. Very naturally, not everyone are believing. So a lack of understanding about how our body works is really very common and very dangerous because many, because it has been accepted that every woman and girls has to bleed. Otherwise, many lives has been uh, taken from many girls because they didn't bleed in the night of the wedding. Simply, they didn't without any intercourse or anything. Uh, as I say, 50%, nearly 50% of women doesn't bleed at all. And some girls and women are uh, have been uh, uh, through lots of pressure from the community or the, from the family or close friends to go to clinics and do kind of the virginity test, uh, um, uh, uh, virginity test to examine them whether they are virgin or not. And uh, we believe that strongly this is a sexual assault to women. And it's of course very painful and uh, many girls really feel ashamed even to go through that. So this virginity test, especially for us, uh, it is, uh, we consider it as a, as a form of violence against women. And the women uh, should not be uh, defined by their virginity. And as the virginity is not important at all for a man and is not value for a man, it should be the same for women. In terms of cases, uh, few years back, we had got uh, a girl that uh, she had a relationship with the, a person that she loved. Uh, but that person, she found out that he has other relationships as well. So she decided to get married with someone, but of course she lost her virginity and she wanted to go through the uh, virginity uh, uh, hemoplasty, which we, of course, advise her uh, but she chose to do that because she says, if I don't bleed, my family doesn't uh, understand uh, 
you know, it is what they accept from me to be a virgin, to bleed on the night. Otherwise, they will kill me. So it was a really death threat about that. It is about losing, uh, uh, losing uh, honor. the uh, yes, of family course. honor, yes. family honor within the community. So it was something that she was so worried about, and uh, uh, we have got quite few cases. Uh, every year we have got quite few cases. So, I mean, banning virginity test in the UK, I make a crime is not enough, of course, for women. We have to educate community, to educate women, to educate men as well from very young age at school to be part of the school curriculum, part of the uh, sexual uh, uh, education, education, exactly, education for children, that this virginity is not important, it shouldn't be important, and this is kind of, a kind of uh, very much controlling about women's body and women's sexual relationship, and we have to really uh, push to make an end, put an end to the testing of virginity and to, uh, you know, accept every girl's to bleed on the night to show that they are pure. This is not purity. This is not the, uh, it's just violence against women and it shouldn't be accepted. Thank you so much for that. Um... We've had a lot of um, families from Afghanistan because of the crisis in Afghanistan. Uh, has there been any issue of domestic violence amongst the amongst them? And since the pandemic started, there has been a surge of uh, domestic violence cases. How did you handle this? Uh, of course, I have to say that uh, even before the, uh, the Afghan community come to the UK uh, during the Corona, uh, corona situation, we had lots of cases, actually our cases nearly doubled because, uh, because women and men, they were all at home. So it was lots of opportunity for them to, uh, to be together and to fight or even for the men to be violent, become very violent against women, to rape them, to beat them up, to forcing their children to do marriage or something. So the situation was really difficult for women. During that time, uh, we had to, uh, to adapt to the situation. And what we have done, first of all, our refuge, uh, it was really, uh, we made sure that there is no any cases of uh, virus, uh, corona in the refuge, all the safety measures we have planned to have it in the refuge and in the office also. Uh, for our cases, we uh, try to meet them uh, out of office, out of their home in a safe place. Uh, for many of them that they had to flee the, ho the house, uh, we had to book, uh, to book a hotel because the refuges were full and even some uh, emergency places in, uh, in addition to the refuges all around the UK, there were uh, additional hotels. Uh, all of them, uh, we try to uh, make, uh, you know, uh, put women on those uh, refuges or in the bed and breakfast. It was difficult, especially in terms of food and, uh, you know, creating cooking for them because many of the hotels, oh, nearly all the restaurants were closed and many of the hotels haven't got their restaurant as usual. So we had to either deliver food for them or uh, um, do something differently, which of course we uh, 
make sure that they, they have got enough food and clothes and everything. We had food watchers, we give it to them. We had donations from different organizations and food banks uh, for the refuge and other places. So we distributed between them. Even for Afghan community, when they come, of course, there is lots of domestic violence uh, within those, those in that community. And uh, we are starting to provide training to them uh, for both men and women separately. And we inform them about different forms of violence and the law here in the UK uh, for women, for children, how to protect women, how to protect children and uh, giving them all the information. So in both situations, the uh, number of clients has increased. We had to adapt to the situation. We had to have more people on place to be able to uh, to be able to respond to the need of the community. And I have to say that I am very grateful for many funders that during that period, they really supported many organizations, including ICRO, with their fund. Uh, and it enabled us to recruit more women advisors and advocates and counselors to be able to provide their support wherever they can whenever they are available, whenever there is a need to women, regardless of if they are, uh, you know, uh, uh, in, the, in our refuge or not. But uh, our uh, staff, even some of them by their own car, they uh, approached women or uh, moved women from one place to another or via the taxi or whatever it was safe for them and for, our, for us. We tried to help them and we managed to do so. Uh, I am very grateful for funders, for our staff and volunteers uh, that have uh, done the great job during this difficult period. So that's a shout out to all the funders, supporters and sponsors. It was uh, really good. Yeah, their help was really good. Very, Th very good. Thank you. Thank so you. all our sponsors funders and supporters of course yes thank you so much so yeah. what are reformation strategies in stopping these forms of abuse and how can women rise above shadows of abuse um of course uh, what is important for us uh, is to empower women and uh, to make sure that women themselves really can stand and not tolerate the violence against them. Because many women, uh, you know, especially in our culture, it says that you have to go to the husband with white clothes and coming out with white clothes, which white clothes, uh, when they are going in, it's the bright dress. And the, in our community, the white dress also is for the dead people. Mm. So it's telling women that there is no any other choice, they have to stay. But empowering women and making sure that they are aware of their rights and entitlement and that uh, they should not tolerate violence at all. It is one of our duties, which I think uh, it is uh, very important. And it's part of the strategy that we have uh, to uh, inform them, to save them. And, uh, and especially we know that there are so many men husbands or perpetrators they are giving them wrong information for example telling them that if you 
make a, a complaint against the husband, the perpetrator, then uh, social services will take your children. Whereas this is not true. Uh, social services, of course, protecting children, but protecting women as well, the mother as well. And if they are at risk of violence, they will help them. But many women doesn't know their rights. And because they have been giving wrong information, so they are just giving up to protect themselves and their children. So we are giving them the information and we are giving them the knowledge, which it's bring, uh, it's in, you know, in, it's part of our strategy uh, in, so, in uh, helping them to be empowered and not uh, tolerate, uh, you know, uh, the violence and seeking help and staying against the perpetrators. This is uh, very important for us. And also in our services, we try to adopt uh, our services in terms of the need that community and the women has. For example, we know that for our refuge, there are so many, uh, we have got, I have to say that we have got a waiting list from women that they are, they want to come to the refuge because those people are working in the refuge. They are from the same community. They trained well, they speak the same language and they are uh, very much, they are uh, very much uh, aware of uh, the problem that women are facing and the culture of the community, every information with us is very confidential and we are strongly supporting women and we are not mediating between them and their family or the perpetrators. So all the information will be uh, closed with us, will be held with us and we won't do anything without their permission. And this is part of our strategies to expand our services, to expand our refuge, uh, to be able to respond at least to the need of the women. And this is again for the safety of women and to help them to be free from uh, abuse and violence that they are facing. And of course, uh, we will refer them then to, uh, to English classes and to the classes that they can help uh, to get help to be able to apply for job and do uh, job hunting and uh, writing CV. And so this kind of uh, information also helped them really to uh, rebuild their life and have a better future and in, in, inform them and involve them in the education system in the UK, which it's uh, for many of them, uh, it, it is a fantastic opportunity really. This, all of them are empowering women and uh, it's part of the strategy uh, to, to help women uh, to be free from the violence and also the campaigning that we have. For example, uh, virginity does not define me, uh, child marriage, the age of child marriage to be changed to 18 and hopefully we can in the future uh, continue to campaign to make it as a crime in the UK, which is passed the uh, the second and third uh, bill. Uh, bill, yes, in the UK. Forced uh, marriage, which ICRO was one of the leading organizations to make it a crime in the UK. So all of them, I think, is the uh, reformation strategies that we have uh, in terms of women's rights, human rights, and uh, you know, having government and law supporting women and make women to be stronger, to be more empowered, and to find 
that feel that the law is behind them, not behind the perpetrators. If they were one day, they say it is your culture now, it's not a culture, it's a crime, it's not tolerated, it's not accepted at all. And women has to know that. Thank you so much for that. I'm smiling because it, in a way, <laughs> lots of women need to be educated about their rights. In, it's especially so important. in the UK, most people don't know. Exactly. That is so important, really. It's very, very important because many of them, really, when you are talking to them about their rights, they say, oh, can I have this? Can I do that? Can I keep my children? Can I do, I don't know, work? And of course, there are all law around the country, which is in support of you, but they don't know that. And the people, perpetrators, the perpetrators are twisting them in their own favor and against using it against women. So they give wrong information to them. And it's uh, devastating for them. They lose confidence, they lose trust. But when they found out about their rights and entitlement, they will change completely. And it's helping them to regain their confidence and self-esteem again. You dwelt on a particular topic or you talked about having uh, one refuge in the UK. So are you going to be having more refugees in the UK or outside the it UK? In the UK, we are hoping to do that in the UK. Uh, outside the UK, uh, I am not sure because there are other organizations in different countries. We are hoping them to do so. But uh, definitely in the UK, we are hoping to increase our refugee to, uh, refugees, to expand it, to have uh, more buildings uh, to rent out, uh, to rent, uh, rent more buildings and adopt it to uh, a refuge, safe place for women. Yes, we plan to do so. Do you think the government will be able to support you in getting more refuge? I hope so. Actually, we negotiated them uh, with them and we applied for funding. And I have to say that uh, we are in the second stage of some of those funding, which is very, uh, uh, bright news for us. Promising. Yeah. It's promising, yes. So um, when we start our refuge, the first one, actually we hadn't got any funding at the beginning. So it was just with the donation of people and it was very calculated risk that we have done because we knew the need is there. And we knew that we won't have any vacant room, uh, void room. So. Uh, uh, it will be always full. And we, we were very uh, confident that the women will come to those uh, places, to our refuge. And soon we found out that since 2015, we established the refuge until now, we hadn't got any void of the rooms. Always there has been a list, a waiting list. In one way, I have to say, I am very sad to see all these wild women going through violence and need to be in a refuge. But in another way, I am happy at least we have got a space to give it to them and to save them. And it's important. And I am hoping that government will uh, help us more uh, to continue our work and also uh, other funders to help us to expand our services, to make sure that none, no women uh, slipping through the, the, the net and uh, you know, uh, 
so everyone can be safe and everyone can be safeguarded. Thank you so much for Thank explaining you. to Thanks. us what ICRO does. And um, if someone needs to, if our listeners need to get in touch with you, can you tell us how they can contact you? Uh, you can, uh, every, anyone can contact us uh, during the day via our landline, which is 0207. 9206460 of course we have got emergency calls which people can get the emergency mobiles number mobile numbers which people can get it from icro's website which is uh, www.ikwro.org.uk and there are lots of information but also we have got uh, an uh, email uh, which uh, uh, it's info at ikwro.org.uk. Again, people can go, uh, contact us. Where social media, people can get in touch with us also. It's at ikwro, uh, our address. So anyone who needs help, uh, we are here to help. And we will be more than happy to be able to help them. Thank you so much, Diana for coming on the show. And if you've enjoyed this particular episode, kindly subscribe, comment, and leave a review. Thank you so much. See you on our next episode. Thank you so much. For more Rising Above Shadows of Abuse news, head to our Instagram.com page or YouTube.com page forward slash Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. And our email address is rising above shadows of abuse at gmail.com so interact with us see you soon rising above shadows of abuse podcast with grace of Bar.